if you could go back to 1970, that may predate some of you, uh, I don't know, but if you could go back to 1970, someone gave you a little bit of advice that there was a new offering uh, on the stock market that was being offered, and for you to scrounge up as much as you get, say, say you could get $5,000 together. That's a lot of money to me today. In 1970, that was a, you know, a year's salary, I guess. But if someone said, take $5,000 in 1970 and invest it in the initial public offering of Walmart stock, how much money would you have today? If you left it alone, didn't withdraw any, and you let it multiply, you would have over $74 million. I wished I could tell you I did that, but, you know, I was eight years old. I, I was having trouble buying diapers. No, I was out of diapers, I think. But I, I, We like good and profitable things. I don't know if Walmart is a good thing, but it certainly has been profitable in that aspect of it. The Bible speaks of that which is good and profitable. Let me call your attention this morning to the book of Titus. Titus chapter 3, beginning at verse 8. Titus falls into that category of scripture that's called uh, the pastoral epistles. First and second Timothy and Titus. Paul was writing to a son in the faith. We don't know a whole lot about Titus. He was, he was a Greek, not a, gen, uh, not a Jew. And at some point in time, Paul had probably ministered on the island where Titus was ministering, serving, leading the church, the island of Crete. And Paul's giving him some instructions. He's giving him some very, something that is good and profitable for that body of believers, for that church on the island of Crete. Now you think we live in a tough age, a tough time. The island of Crete, the Cretans were known, well, even Paul writing to Titus in verse, chapter 1 and verse 12, quotes someone that says, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. That's a, and, and he goes on, this testimony is true, therefore rebuke them sharply. <clears throat> so Paul's giving Titus some pastoral advice, some things that are good and profitable. I think it's advice we need to heed as well today. Let's begin reading at verse 8 of chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, verse 8. This is a faithful saying. And these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. But avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. 
Reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. Let's pray. Father, we've heard your word, and we ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher in these moments. We pray, Father, for your church to have purpose and for us to follow through in the journey of faith as this body of believers, and that we might do that which is good and profitable. We pray for those who do not know Christ, and maybe even some that have gone through years of church membership and thinking that being a member of a church is what makes them right with you. We pray, Father, today that the Holy Spirit would convince and convict them Point them to the Lord Jesus Christ, the only and all-sufficient Savior of sinners. We pray this in His wonderful name. Amen. Titus gives these instructions to young, or excuse me, Paul gives these instructions to young Titus. And this is a faithful saying, verse 8. This you can find five times in Paul's Pastoral epistles, 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. Five different times that Paul said, this is a trustworthy saying. This is a faithful saying. In, in his first usage of that in 1st Timothy chapter 1, uh, he he's, tells that it's a faithful saying that uh, Christ came to die for sinners and pay the sin debt. A faithful saying. So uh, this is an important saying, no doubt, an important message that he's getting across. And then he says, I would have you to affirm constantly these things. Paul is speaking about that which is good and profitable. The word good in the language that the scripture is written means beauty and balance or beauty or balance. He's describing it. He used this word five times in, in Titus, in this letter. He's concerned about something in that church on the island of Crete being good. And then he uses the word profitable. It means useful and advantageous. And this is the only time in Titus that Paul uses it, though he uses it four other times in his other writings. That which is profitable. So when something is good and profitable, when something is beautiful and balanced, useful and advantageous, it, is, it makes us happy. It, it, it benefits us. So I think we can conclude that whatever he's talking about here that is good and profitable, we ought to give heed. We ought to listen to this. So let me offer to you these things that I'm convinced Paul is telling Titus for the church on the island of Crete. Difficult place. Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And so you see what he's dealing with. And so here's the, here's the answer. Divinely inspired of God. Here's what they need. Number one, it's good and profitable for Titus to affirm or to give this message to them. There is an affirmation 
in this text. He says in verse 8, I want you to affirm constantly. Well, that takes us back a little bit to earlier what Paul had said in this third chapter. I think verse 8 is coming at the end of this paragraph that began at verse 1. And so he's, he's kind of saying this in a summation. But I want you to affirm. Here is the message that Paul wanted Titus to affirm. Back up to verse 3. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, seeing various lusts, or serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. He's describing a lost sinner, the condition of the sinner. But then, verse 4, but, aren't you grateful for the the buts of the Scripture? They, they They are hinges that great doctrines hinge upon. And what is the doctrine here? He's shown the sinner or the condition of the sinner in verse 3, but in verse 4, he now shows the compassion of the Savior. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. The message that Paul is telling Titus that needs to be affirmed constantly is the message of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The grace of our Savior. And ladies and gentlemen, I declare to you today in 2021, it's the same message. While we can speak on so many things that may be relevant to our culture, so many topics that maybe could, could cause your ears to stand up and you to get riled up and excited about that. But friend, what needs to take place today is a proclamation of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Proclaim it. Constantly affirm it. He shows the condition of the Savior. He shows the compassion of the Savior. Grace of God is the only thing that can transform, that can can regenerate one who was once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Does that describe you? At some point in the past, it probably did if you... Recognize that you once were lost in sin. Jesus saved you by His grace. Grace means unmerited favor. We could see it akin to the word mercy in verse 5. It is according to His mercy that He has saved us. How thankful we are that we are saved not by good works, but for good works. We'll get to that in a moment. Affirm the message of the grace of our Savior. Not according or not by works of righteousness which we have done. But according to His mercy He saved us. Salvation is by grace through faith. And that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. 
we cannot emphasize that too much because it's just, particularly in American culture, it's just bred within us that you pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You have a, it used to be that you had a sense of independence and you, you, you went your own way. You did your own thing. We don't find that a whole lot today, but yet people think somehow or another, oh, I've got to earn my way before God. Paul said to Titus, affirm constantly the grace of our Savior. I hope this church will always stand on grace, that we'll be a people of grace. That means that we embrace those that have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ the same way we have through faith in Christ. We don't separate, we don't, we don't uh, uh, divide, we are one in Christ. So, salvation, the message of the grace of our Savior. But also, affirm this. Those who have believed, believe what? That message of grace. Those who have believed, verse 8, in God should be careful to maintain good works. We are not saved by good works. We are saved for good works. Make sure you get the prepositions correct in Ephesians 2, uh, 7, 8, and, or 8, 9, and 10. We, for by grace we are saved, through faith, unto good works. And Paul is emphasizing that here and telling Titus to affirm constantly this message. That those who have believed... In God, not those that have earned a certain status, not those that are working their way, but those that have trusted in the God who sent His Son. Verse 4, the, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, appeared in the person of Christ who took our place on the cross of Calvary, who atoned for our sin. But those who have believed in God, in Christ, should be careful to maintain Good works to maintain. Folks, the Christian life takes maintenance. Now, I'm not saying that you work in order to be a Christian or you work in order to keep being a Christian, but rather there is maintenance in the Christian life. There are things that we are to maintain. The word means to practice, literally, that we continue too often we find a, an attitude that pervades in many believers or professing believers' lives. It's an attitude of, who cares? Whatever. We, we hear folks all the time say, well, you know, little Susie's getting promiscuous. <laughs> Whatever. Everybody's doing that. Little Susie has an unplanned pregnancy. Outside of wedlock. Who cares? And that seems to be the who cares attitude. Oh, we find it in other ways. Uh, little Johnny's getting rebellious. Doesn't want to do, uh, obey mother and father. Doesn't want to, uh, to live. Uh, uh, the, the, the Jones family is, is dropping out of church. You know, they, they, they miss church and then they don't miss church. You know what I mean? The Scripture, Paul says, affirm constantly that you maintain good works. There is a growth 
in the Christian life that is to take place, that as we continually, continually serve the Lord, continually grow in grace. 2 Peter 3 and verse 18, Peter uses an imperative, not a suggestion, not an elective. He says, but grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. May I ask you, brother and sister in Christ, are you growing in Christ? I can't answer that for you. And I'm going to tell you, not not to belittle church attendance, worship attendance, it's very important, and I think it's a a vital part of uh, of your Christian growth. But listen to me, just coming to church doesn't mean that you're growing in grace. Are you becoming more like Christ day by day? Or do you resemble those who were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another? Vance Havner said that God won't do the supernatural thing until we do the simple thing. We're praying and asking God to do supernatural miracles. We ask that for His church, don't we? But, we, but are we doing the simple thing? Are we doing that which we know to do and which we can do? Paul told Titus, affirm constantly this message of grace and growth. Maintain good works. That's great advice. That's godly advice, biblical advice for 2021. But not only was he to affirm a message, he was to avoid... Some things. There is a prevention, I call it, in this text, verse 9, but avoid foolish questions. Avoid foolish questions. It's good and profitable that we affirm the message of grace and the message of growth in Christ, but it's also good and profitable that we avoid some things. Here's a negative aspect of sanctification. But avoid foolish questions. The word avoid means to shun, to keep away from. The word foolish is moros. We get our English word moron from. Questions, you understand what that means. Avoid foolish questions. It could be debates, discussions. I don't know, we're not told exactly what they were uh, uh, debating and questioning. It does mention genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law. But there was something that was unpractical that he is saying to Titus, teach them to avoid this. We get caught up in little minute things so often. Uh, One writer called it a preoccupation with pseudo-intellectual thinking. A preoccupation with pseudo-intellectual thinking. Paul tells Titus, avoid, tell them, teach them to avoid foolish questions. I don't know what, uh, you know, the, the, the one that we often toss around that I don't think anybody's really asking, but how many angels can fit on the head of a pen? We got people that want to know little foolish things like that, that do nothing and 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 Profit nothing for your sanctification or my sanctification. I tried to look up and see some some contemporary examples of of foolish questions, and I just went to Mark Maroon's Facebook page, and that's all I could find. But uh, 
He's a master at, at wording that. That's not what this text is saying. But uh, Paul was concerned about this in numerous places. In 1 Timothy 1 and verse 4, Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith. In 2 Timothy, his second letter to Timothy in verse 23, he says, But foolish and unlearned questions avoid knowing that they do engender strifes. We must shun anything that causes dissension, that causes division, that causes distrust in the body of Christ, that causes disharmony. That's what Paul said was good and profitable. Avoid these things. Yes, it's a negative, but avoid this. It's good, it's profitable. To not be wrapped up in genealogies and contentions. I, 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 there is a, a, I call them a cult today, that that's one of the things. You can be baptized for your deceased as they research genealogies. And what do we do? We get on the internet and pay them money to find out about our end. And they'll start sending you stuff. Ancestry.com is owned by the Mormon church. Because they are concerned about genealogies. As, as foolish questions, we would say. Uh, they're, they're, he, he speaks about contentions, or that's division. Strivings about the law. And how does Paul describe these things? For they are unprofitable and useless. He's saying avoid Certain things, that which is unpractical, that which is unprofitable, avoid them. For they do not promote edification, building up. They do not uh, do anything other than engender strife. God help us that we'll have a genuine concern for the Word of God. And don't think that if you have a question about the Scripture that it's a foolish question. Somebody said the only foolish question is the unasked question. But we're talking about questions that are intended to divide spiritually. Dissension in the body of Christ. Paul says avoid those things. So there was that which was good and profitable. Paul is saying affirm the grace of our Savior and the growth of a Christian. Affirm that constantly. Avoid that which is unpractical and that which is unprofitable. And then verses 10 and 11, there's an admonition in this text. Admonish. What? Reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition. Admonish a divisive man after you've done it twice. Continue. Reject him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. The old King James talks about a, uses the word heretic. Here, the division that this heretic is creating and is causing. Reject such a man. Why? Because he's self-willed. He describes him as a self-willed man. He's warped, could be perverted. Not all perverts are sexual perverts. He's describing one who's warped and he's sinning. He's a dissenter. He's a divider. We've often thought of heretics just being false teachers. 
But at the core, what they want to do is divide. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 4, Paul describes these heretics or false teachers. He says, He is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof comes envy, strife, railings, and evil surmisings. Paul says, look, it's good and profitable that you admonish a heretic. Proverbs 6, 16 to 19 gives us seven things that the Lord detests. The last in that list, in verse 19, is he that sows discord among the brethren. We are very far removed in our contemporary church, not just here, but churches everywhere, from the practice of church discipline. I'm not certain that we are at the point uh, that many churches are at the point where that could be taken up today without some type of genuine reformation in the life of many believers. Because we'll discipline one and ignore another, wouldn't we? But there's something about discipline in the local church. And I believe in preventive discipline. If somebody's living openly in sin, we don't bring them into the fellowship. That's preventive discipline. And we, we define living openly in sin what the Scripture defines as living openly in sin. But what does church discipline do? Well, it shows God's holiness. Is this church the Lord's church? Then He gets to determine how it should be conducted and who should be a part of it. We ought to be searching the Scripture to make sure we're doing it His way. Not only does it show God's holiness, but it shows the believers, the church members, seriousness. We've got a whatever attitude about church membership, don't we? We've got roles. We've got people that laugh about never coming, never being a part of the body. You got any part of your body that's laughing about being a part of your body? Well, it may be. It could be a cancer. What do you do with it? You cut it out. What's the Bible say about this, this matter? Well, Paul speaks to the issue as he says, Be careful to maintain, to constantly affirm grace, growth, to, to avoid some things. Then he gets serious, he's serious all the way, but in verse 10 and 11, reject. Literally, the word reject means disassociate, withdraw fellowship. Vance Havner, Baptist preacher of the past, said, If the church of the book of Acts had overlooked iniquity, sin, and bypassed evil and smilingly looked the other way, while the devil sneaked into every phase of that church, the early church's life, as we have done today, Vance Havner said Christianity would have died in its infancy. Now he's using hyperbole, I'm sure. But listen to me, my friend. Paul said it's good and profitable. He didn't say avoid this. He said the Lord's church on the island of Crete is so important that if there's one that is creating division who is self-willed and verse 11, self-condemned, you deal with him. Do we know our purpose? Are we committed to our purpose as a body of believers? As the local church, the New Testament church, God's redeemed one. 
Lord gave us a responsibility of what we're to do. I'm not proposing dealing with anyone. I want the Lord to deal with hearts. We'll, we'll go from there. But do we know our purpose in this journey? In the summer of 2009, two brothers who were born in Massachusetts but had been transplanted to Florida decided that they wanted to set a world's record and travel in a flat-bottom fishing boat, a 21-foot flat-bottom fishing boat. It's called a flats boat. Actually, uh, Robert Brown, one of the brothers, built the boat. He builds boats for a living. And he built the boat a special way so they could travel from Tampa, Florida to London, England in a 21-foot open-hull fishing boat. And they made it. They planned that it would take them about 42 days. It took them 75. They nearly lost their life on more than one occasion, but they arrived in Europe or England in 75 days. They traveled on to Germany down the River Thames and eventually went to the Ramstein Air Force Base. They did it for wounded warriors. They had a purpose in their journey and a determination. And, and they were doing that which they thought for them was good and profitable. They professed to be believers in Christ and embraced the uh, I Am Second movement that, that uh, Norm Miller with the Interstate Batteries uh, promotes and, and founded. And, and th that was their motivation. They had a purpose in their journey. Do we have a purpose are we motivated? Are we willing to go forward? The church is called the pillar and ground of truth. We need to have the attitude that Paul admonished the Philippians to have, to stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. It's more important than anything else that exists. Affirm the message Avoid some foolish things, unpractical things, and admonish those that would divide in a biblical way. Admonish them. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would move in our hearts today for that which we can work up or manipulate is not lasting. We desire for eternal work to be done by you, the eternal God. We pray, Father, that everyone here has heard the message of grace. And that believers that have embraced Christ for salvation, that they have heard the message of growing in grace and knowledge of Christ. May we as a church avoid that which is unpractical, unprofitable. And may we stand for the truth, disciplined, as your people in this, your church. Help us, Father. And Father, may the, your church, not for our glory, but for your glory, may it prosper, may it go forward, is our prayer. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.